Welcome to Actors Talk. From beginning and maintaining an acting career, working with agents, actors as producers and content creators, how the business is changing and what we can do to stay abreast of those changes, any topic that is pertinent to actors and other creatives involved in the business of acting is fair game here at the podcast. These topics and many, many more are explored via in-depth interviews with emerging talent and seasoned pros from in front of and behind the camera on Actors Talk Podcast. Welcome to Actors Talk. This is episode 52. My name is Tommy G. Kendrick. I am a SAG-AFTRA member, actor based in Austin, Texas, and I am the producer and host of our digital get-together. Let me remind you, or if this is your first time here, hey, nice to meet you. Thank you for showing up. Let me tell you that you can always find links about my guests and their work and the things that we discuss in each episode on the Actors Talk Podcast website. That is remarkably actorstalkpodcast.com. So go there and you'll find the links. Don't worry about taking notes or forgetting a link or anything that we talk about. It will all be there on a permanent basis for you to check and recheck. My guest today is actress, teacher, writer, dancer, and failed childhood clarinet player. Oh, that was a funny story we talked about. Beverly Leach. Beverly is a busy Los Angeles-based actress who has written a most excellent book, really excellent book, called Actor Muscle, A Professional Guide to the Business of Acting. Beverly got her early training with the legendary Stella Adler, and then the material in Actor Muscle has been developed and taken from her own 30 years experience in the acting business. And it was developed in part through classes that she has taught at the Stella Adler Academy, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, South Coast Rep. That was South Coast Rep. Sort of muddled that, didn't I? As well as many private coaching sessions. Building an acting career is not an exact science. You won't find any hard and fast rules, but there are basic established methods and protocol. I've shared those that I found most useful to show you a path toward a career worth having. That's a quote from Beverly Leach, and you'll find that quote among other information about Actor Muscle wherever you go looking to buy the book. I would suggest you go to Amazon.com where you can purchase the book and also the companion audio CD, which focuses on the nuts and bolts of auditioning and which I purchased myself. I highly recommend it. I received a review copy of the book, which I did not pay for, but I liked what I read so much that I did want to get the audio CD myself. I checked out a few of the tracks. I liked what I heard. I bought the audio CD and I'm very glad that I did. It's a worthwhile addition to the information information in the book and as I said focuses on the nuts and bolts of auditioning. Actors Talk is sponsored in part by purchases on amazon.com. If you like what you hear today and want to pick up a copy of Actor Muscle, I really would appreciate you doing it by going to the website actorstalkpodcast.com and just click on the Amazon banner in the sidebar or one of the links in the show notes. You will not pay one penny more for your purchase of this book or any other product on Amazon, but a small commission will flow back this direction and help keep all episodes of Actors Talk free for your streaming and downloading pleasure. 
I don't charge anything for the episodes for any of the production time or anything. It does help subsidize all of these activities to get a little bit in commissions from Amazon. So please uh, remember that when you purchase online. Enough of the preliminaries. Let's get to the interview with actor, muscle author, actress, Beverly Leach. You know, I think Beverly is the first Actors Talk guest whose dad was at one time a stand-up comic. That and more and Beverly's take on the business of acting right now. Where did the talent gene come from? Is there someone else in your family that was a performer? Are you the performer in your family? Well, I came by it honestly. My dad was a wonderful stand-up comedian. He was a disc jockey, and he had his own radio show. Then eventually he got out of the business. He did end up on television as a weather anchorman for a local news station, and he really loved the business. He had a flair for the word, and he loved Shakespeare. My mother was a musician, and that's actually kind of what started the bug, I think. I actually come from a family of musicians. And, of course, stuck a clarinet in my hands when I was in grade school. And I, I literally blew my brains out on the, <laughs> on the clarinet. I was so unhappy. But oh, because me. there was so much pressure to be a musician, I continued for a couple of years. Finally, I begged them to let me stop and start a ballet class nearby. And they let me. And that Thanksgiving, the family reunion happened every year, and everybody pulled out their instrument. And my papa, my grandpa, had forgotten his clarinet, and he said, well, I'll just use Beth. And he couldn't get a note out of it either. It <laughs> turns out, it turns out oh, man. that the keys were hung wrong over the holes, and <laughs> I was too young to know that there was something wrong with the instrument. So for a couple of years, I had such a complex that I was letting everybody down. Oh, man. Huge musical failure. And all the time your family's saying, she's such a sweet girl, but she just can't play the clarinet. She just can't do anything with that. (laughs) But in the meantime, I'd really caught the dancing bug. And I was actually very passionate about that. Classically trained. I eventually began training with the Houston Ballet. And and I danced professionally for a number of years until my mid-20s. I did ballet. I did modern. I did jazz. I did a lot of musical theater. Somehow I segued into acting. Casa Mignana in Fort Worth, Texas sure. kept pulling me out of the chorus and giving me speaking parts. And I saw how dancers my age, at the ripe old age of 25, were not getting work because they were too old. And I thought, well, I think it's time to pay attention and let this be a lesson. I made good money. I traveled a lot. I had a lot of great experiences as a professional dancer. But I took my acting training as seriously as I did my dancing training. And I sought out great teachers and eventually landed with Stella Adler. She was a toughie, a real force of nature, and she did great things for me. And did you then go to New York or Los Angeles, or where did you move at that point? I collected a a big number of theater credits, and my plan had always been to go to New York. Quite frankly, I had tickets in my purse, literally in my purse, my stuff in storage and a sublet arranged in New York when I got a call. Apparently, a year before, I had done a couple of monologues in Dallas, and somebody from Universal saw me on this tape. I had thrown down a couple of monologues to a talent scout, and they decided to cast me in Star Search. I didn't even know what Star Search was because I was so poor, I didn't even have a television set. And so I thought, 
what's this show? And I said no to it. I, I actually drove into Dallas and watched somebody else's TV show. And, and uh, I said, I, I don't know. I've, I've got plans for New York. That's where I want to be. I want to be a theater rat. And my agent said, it'll only, it'll only be a week. We'll give you some good exposure and maybe some extra money to go to New York on. Why don't you just go ahead and give it a shot? And I went, well, okay, that's, that sounds good. I can delay. I can get tickets again. And, you know, one week's work turned into six months of work. I just kept getting asked to come back to Star Search. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. And while I was there, I was approached by agents. Somebody asked me to move into an apartment there. I was going on casting calls and auditions, and I thought, well, the universe doesn't have to hit me over the head with a stick to let me know that it's got to change of plans for me. So I put New York on hold and stayed in Los Angeles. It kind of happened that way. Yeah. What were you doing on Star Search? Was it song and dance or a monologue? or? In the second and third seasons, they actually had an acting category. So they chose me to do the acting category. Ah, Okay. It seemed like the, the comedians and the singers and the dancers were more popular. And so they, they dropped that section. But it was enough of a um, best foot forward for me to get a, a decent start in L.A. You know, I, I was actually quite terrified. I didn't know a thing about television or film. Not one single thing. I didn't have any camera technique. I'd had some in the Dallas market, but mostly doing commercials and mm-hmm. some industrial work. But I really didn't have any training for the camera or film. I was actually pretty terrified. And, of course, the auditions are much different for television and film than they are for stage and, and commercials. Sure. So I, I, felt like I, was, um, I felt like I was a young thing just really starting over again. It took me a good year and a half to get called in consistently by casting. I really had to save my money and and be very disciplined and consistent in my approach. Fortunately, I had great agents. They were wonderful agents. And they believed in me and they said, you know, these people just need to see you often enough and see you consistently enough to feel comfortable bringing you to producers. And that's sort of what happened. I just yeah. had to keep showing up. Well, I tell you, your story and mine have some similarities, except through the great agent part. We, we sort of part ways there. But I started in the Dallas area. I was at the, uh-huh. at the Dallas Theater Center, then left the theater center and freelanced for several years and left Dallas in 1979 and went to Los Angeles. I was working a lot in mm-hmm. commercials and what we called industrials then. So when I hit L.A., I got a top commercial agent within days. One of the things I did right is that I did go to Los Angeles with a list that was provided to me by advertising agencies in Dallas and people I had worked with there. You know, I went to them and said, hey, I'm moving to Los Angeles. Do you have anybody that I can go meet, a casting director, an agent or whatever? So I went out with a list of five or six names and just got there and started calling those names. And that was my ticket to a very, very fine commercial agent right away. I'm talking with Beverly Leach, who is an actress. She's also a teacher and an author of a terrific book called Actor Muscle, A Professional Guide to the business of acting, Beverly sent me a proof copy, and I liked it so much, I actually bought the audiobook myself. Uh, so I've been driving around listening to you all day today. And what yeah. I would recommend people do is get both. The two different formats really complement one another. I'm surprised. I didn't expect you to do that. I feel flattered and humbled. Why did you write the book? 
I wrote the book because even with the resources and the internet and Google and the samples that are available now at the fingertips, the young actors still manage to screw up a cover letter. Even though they follow a sample online or they borrow their friend's resume and try to copy it, it's still not right. It's still not going to get past the receptionist. And so I figured out really quickly while I was teaching this class, I was actually recruited to develop a curriculum for the Academy of Dramatic Arts, ADA, in Los Angeles, to develop a business of acting class. And I also got recruited to teach it at South Coast Rep for their summer intensive professional program. And while I was teaching it, I, I really had a, a really, can I say this, kick-ass sure. class. And I was teaching them how to do a cover letter, and they would send in their samples to me to correct. And I'd go, well, how can you still screw this up? So I was learning as I was developing how to teach them the do's and the don'ts and to make them watch out for, please format your letter properly. If it's right. not formatted properly, if it's too wordy or you put in a mission statement, they're just going to throw it away. Right. And I wrote the book because I was only teaching the class sizes. I was teaching three or four classes. Each class size was anywhere from 30 to 50 people. But it was limited to that campus. And I kept having flashbacks to when I was a young actor and just poor as a barn rat and didn't have $700, $800, $1,200 for a business of acting class. Sure. And that's what these studios and academies were charging these students for my class. I thought, well, who can afford that? And the ones that were teaching these sort of hit-and-run workshops in Los Angeles were charging that much, but they weren't really covering very much material. And yet they were charging top dollar for this. So I began to think that my curriculum was my teacher's manual and my you know, life experience, because I'm still working as an actor, I would be better suited for a larger audience that could afford it. If I was a young struggling actor who had some experience but not a lot and wanted to put my best foot forward, I could probably spend $20 on a book. And I wanted this to be accessible to young actors who were starting out and probably had two jobs like I did trying to make ends meet. So I just wanted to make it accessible and I wanted to make it as legitimate and professionally viable as possible. There's a lot of unprofessional people in Los Angeles and New York. I've worked in New York too. And they're really about squeezing the last dime out of you and yeah. you don't get a lot of bang for your buck. And I wanted to make sure that I gave them the bang for the buck. Well, you certainly do. I mean, it's great material. You do coaching as well now, do you not? And do you do I some do. of that over Skype or is it all local? I do both. I do it in person and online through Skype. And if Skype is a problem, I have a backup plan with Google Chat. Okay, yeah. And Hangouts. Yep, love Google Hangouts. That, yeah. yeah, that gives a, a clearer picture and sound, but right. mostly Skype. I have lots of clients that are overseas and out of state and out of town. Okay. I even have in-town clients who just simply live so far away that the Los Angeles traffic, it'll, it would take them an hour and a half to get here, sure. work the material, another hour and a half to get home and change for an audition. Yeah, right. And if they get a last-minute call, the last thing they want to do is spend all their energy on a freeway. Right. So I get a lot of last-minute audition preparation coaching sessions. In your audition coaching sessions, are you finding any sort of common mistakes that actors are making? I think there's three main things that are actor traps for auditions. One of them is lack of training. The more that they train, the better the actors they are. There's a ton of, of I don't want to say kids, they're men and women. The young men, the young women, 
and they just want to be a star. They don't want to have to go through the discipline of actually learning their craft. The real gold is craft. Undeveloped talent is like having a, a race car engine, but not a license to drive the car. You're racing around, but you're crashing into walls. So talent isn't enough. You need training and you need self-discipline. You need to be uh, sort of smart about things. The other problem I see most often is a lack of awareness of the camera and sort of mental toughness and preparation for the technical elements of the room itself. They're still acting as if they're on stage and they go full profile or their gestures are wild and large. And a lot of the times they're so, so shut down and frightened by the camera itself that their talent can't be seen. So it has to do with the technical elements, which is why I also made the audiobook. It's to remind people of the technical aspects of the audition room, where the camera is, how to sit in your chair, how to handle the pages. You'd be surprised how many people put their pages in their lap and all the camera sees mm, the yeah. top of their head, you know? Yeah. So that's the reason why I made the MP3 audiobook was to go over the audition technical side of the room to allow their talent to be seen. And I think the third big problem with young actors today is memorization. There's a lot of casting directors will tell you that they want an actor that's off book. Off book is very different from rote memorization. Rote memorization is like memorizing a multiplication table. And you get kind of locked into a kind of delivery because you're memorizing the words instead of understanding the scene and learning how to get off the page and off book. They don't want to see an actor who knows their lines. They want to see a, a person, a character who's having a human experience. So if you miss a comma or forget to cross a T and you drop a word or a line here, it doesn't really matter if your performance has depth and room for spontaneity and a lack of self-consciousness, if it's really easy, if it flows, you know, if it's fluid. And memorization just chokes all the life out of a good performance. I always tell people, don't memorize your words. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. I do try to memorize my words for commercial audition, but I also try to still break it down into uh, story elements. Who am I? Who is the audience that I'm trying to reach? And what is the archetype? Well, I think what you're saying, too, is not don't know your lines. It's when you get the script, don't make memorizing your lines your goal. And a lot of young actors, I'm sure, do that. They think, you know, I've got to memorize the words. And herein lies the problem when I get like an audition coaching. They're so nervous because they know their lines. And if I give them an adjustment on a psychological level or a volume level, I say, why don't you make this more intimate? You don't have to shout at me. Like, they can't remember their lines anymore. On the audiobook, you talk about rehearsing both sitting and standing. You know, that's something I had to learn the hard way, but is such an important thing. Talk about that for a second. I generally rehearse seated and I get comfortable in my chair and I learn how to use the chair properly, especially for camera. And about seven out of 10 times, they have a chair in the room for me. It's those other three times that I walk in expecting to sit and they don't have a chair and they want me to hit a mark. And all of a sudden I feel like I've got three heads and five thumbs and I'm dancing on my mark. And I, I realize my balance is off. Everything that I had prepared I had gotten comfortable while seated. I really have to know how to use my body on an axis now 
and not leaning forward or back or out of frame and not to be nervous. I don't know why that changes things. I just know that for me physically, it does. And when I feel a physical shift, uh, my mind gets nervous. And when my mind gets nervous, it causes tension and tension is my biggest enemy. The other thing about uh, rehearsing standing up, especially for women, is when we're at home and we're comfortable, we usually have our sandals or our tennis shoes on. Right, right. But we wear high heels for the audition. We don't know how to stand or or behave in character. Right. Or if the, if the scene is at a desk and you've rehearsed sitting down the whole time at home and all of a sudden they don't have any place to sit and they say, well, I'll just do it standing. Now you're sort of taken out of the moment already because you're not prepared for that. That's right. And being uh, and standing instead of being seated, especially if the scene is seated, you're tempted naturally to be bigger in your physicality and your activities, whatever they may be. Right. Because just simply because you're standing. So I always rehearse both ways so I feel confident or prepared. I'm not always confident, but I always <laughs> try to feel prepared. A lot of confidence comes from what? Preparation? I believe so. I think the times that I've really lost control of the scene or the audition was when I didn't have time to prepare or I simply didn't prepare correctly. And of course, that's when the curveballs happen and I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't know how to stay flexible with the new directions that the director or the casting director was sending me. Sure. And um, yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've definitely humiliated myself a number of times. <laughs> you know, but the, the great thing is, is that it's not fatal. No. You know, I, I had one student, and God bless him, he's so great, such a great actor. He was terrified. He was in class. He'd never acted before in his life. And he's a full-time actor now. But I remember very clearly him saying, but what if you really screw up? And I said, well, you take the bullet, you tuck and roll, you get up, and you move on. And he goes, well, what if they call your agent and tell them how terrible you are? I said, you take the bullet, you tuck and roll, you get up and you move on. And he goes, well, what if you really don't know if you want to be an actor? I said, you take the bullet, you tuck and roll, you get up and you move on. I mean, it's really not about failing. It's about getting up. You really have to get up and face the day and know that if failing out loud like that, means that it makes me a better actor because I learned something really, really good from that one. Boy, that stung. That hurt. I'll never do that again. Then I take the bullet, tuck and roll, get up and move on. And the next time I get up, it doesn't affect me again. Self-respect is earned. And sometimes that includes the bumps and bruises you get along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And they can be very instructive. I can look back now and I actually do laugh at some of the things that I did that were so silly in retrospect, but they were just part of learning. And as you say, they weren't fatal. They, yeah. were, they were just dumb rookie mistakes. And, you know, if I can help someone else not make those same dumb rookie mistakes, okay, I'd like to do that. But, you know, they didn't kill me. They Eventually I learned. You know, I remember going into one of my very first auditions in Dallas, and I ended up inviting the auditors over to my house for dinner. You like, did not. Oh, yeah, you I did, did not. Yeah. It was like my first, I mean, yeah, they were out of, from out of town, and I was just this friendly Texas boy, and I was like, hey, you, what are you guys doing for dinner? The, the <laughs> nanosecond after that's coming out, you're going, why did I say that? So whatever, whatever you do out there, folks, you can't do anything that stupid. So. <laughs> Sometimes, though, that I can't laugh because it has been that bad. Yeah. It's, I have some experiences that still wake me up in the middle of the oh, night. Oh, gosh. They'll just come floating in from yeah. nowhere. I have a good mentor, and I called her up blubbering one day because I was really, it was terrible, it was horrifying. 
audition horrifying and they were treating everybody really badly and I let it get to me and, and I was crying on the phone and she said Beverly there's a woman across town who has cancer and six kids and no husband if this is as bad as your life ever gets you are way ahead of the game and I stopped crying immediately and I went oh I forgot thank you God thank you God for this terrible experience I really appreciate this Thank you for everything, the good and the bad, yeah, you know? It's yeah. like, I'm okay. I really am okay. I'm speaking with Beverly Leach. Beverly is a wonderful actress with a lot of experience in theater, film, commercials, across the board. And she has a great book called Actor Muscle, A Professional Guide to the Business of Acting. Check out both the audio and the hard copy book of Actor Muscle by Beverly Leach. Beverly, what do you recommend? I'm sure you get this question all the time. Someone has decided they're going to leave Dallas or Daytona or Nashville and head to Los Angeles to be an actor. What are the things that they need to know before they make that move? Or what are the things they need to have in place before they make that move? You need to be smart and not just drop everything and quit your job and come. You need to have some training. You need to have some experience. You need to have a car in Los Angeles. You don't need a car in New York, but you need a car in Los Angeles. And I would really suggest that you have really good marketable skills for a, a decent survival job because it takes about a year or more for casting to get used to your submissions and your face, the consistency of it, before they start to bring you in and cast you. And what I did was make sure that I also had a savings account. And I didn't live off of it. I mean, I did use it, absolutely, because the rent and the cost of living here is extraordinarily high, especially compared to Texas and some of the other states. It's very expensive to live here. And just the security deposit on an apartment will curl your hair if your hair is straight. So have a big savings account. Have a big, big savings account. Plan to use it for certain things that you need but also plan to get a job. I think one of the biggest problems is that people will cash in their 401ks or have a good savings account and say, I'm gonna make it here if I'm gonna make it anywhere. And they live on that and within six or eight months, it's gone. It's easy to bleed money here. So plan on getting a survival job and don't let your ego tell you that you're not an actor just because you're, you're working in a coffee bistro. Right. Don't do that to yourself. Uh, you don't want to deplete everything all at once. You want to give yourself a good start. And everybody has a survival job. Um, that's how you pay for your rent and your headshots and your demo reels and the gas in your car to get across town or your actor profile pages on the electronic submission sites. Right. Because those are expensive. You know, that'll, that'll take a bite out of yeah. it. So it's really about being practical and uh, disciplined making sure that you have your basics set up so that you feel secure you know because that will undermine your sense of uh, security and self-respect i've already done the starving actor thing living hand to mouth and week to week and it's no fun and it bleeds your energy in auditions when you need it the most right what about union membership would you advise if possible having that before you hit la you don't have to i did yeah. There is a lot of non-union work here, yeah. but it doesn't pay very well. I'm not going to tell you not to come here if you don't have a union card, but it will be very hard to get a good agent without a union card because, let's face it, they make a commission 
on whatever work you book and yeah. the union work pays better. There are non-union agencies out here and I do know a lot of young actors who haven't gotten their card yet and they're still struggling, right. but they're SAG eligible. If I were a 20-year-old actor, I wouldn't go near Los Angeles before I spent two or three years in New Orleans. There is so much film production there that you know I could compile a fairly decent resume before I went to Los Angeles, if I even decided to do that. And I think you know maybe that's a decision people uh, can make differently going forward because of the way production is spreading out across the country because of tax incentives. Well, so. that's exactly what I did. I mean, I had a really strong theater resume. I had some commercials. I had a little bit of film, not very much. And I had a union card. Right. You know, I didn't want to go to New York or Los Angeles without my without some good professional coins in my pocket. Right. It's, it's really very, very tough to compete in New York and L.A., against people who have all of those things. Right. They're just going to hire those people because they know that they're going to show up and throw down and go home. You know, they don't have yeah. time to develop new talent. So I love what you're suggesting. And that was actually my plan. I just stayed in the Dallas market until I had enough on my resume, enough experience, enough training and a union card right. to where I felt like I could hold my head up here. I didn't want to retire someday and go, gee, I wish I'd you know, fill in the blank. I don't think that being famous is successful. It's a double-edged sword being famous here. It's possible to be a worker bee. I consider myself a worker bee. I work yeah. all the time, right. but I'm not famous. And I got to tell you, I'm really happy with that. I do want to remind the audience again, I'm talking with Beverly Leach, the author of Actor Muscle, Craft, Grit, Wit, A Professional Guide to the Business of Acting. And there is also an audio book that goes with it that I would recommend you get as well. I think it's very, very worthwhile to take a look at Actor Muscle. Go to actormuscle.com, which is a fabulous website. And one of the things that Beverly has there is if you're interested in coaching of any kind, she has all sorts of information there on what she does, how much it would cost you, and how to get set up on it. It's all very well laid out, and so you should really visit that website, actormuscle.com, for all that sort of information. And there are links there, too, to all the different sites where you can where you can buy Actor Muscle, whether it's at Amazon or if you want the audiobook from Google Play or iTunes or any of the other venues. And then I'll have links to all that on actorstalkpodcast.com as well. Tommy, you've been a really gracious host. I do appreciate your time, and I do miss the Texan twang. <laughs> <laughs> the little piece of home come to visit me. I love it. Within the last couple of weeks, I attended a convention in Dallas. It was called Podcast Movement. What I want to share is a little snippet of a podcast from one of the keynote speakers, Chris Brogan. He has a podcast called The Owner's Mind. There was an episode called Start, 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 and there's a little clip from it I want to pull out and play for you because it is so apropos to this interview. Listen up. Every day is day one. The lesson, as always, is start, start, start. Look at ants, look at nature, look at everything. When it falls down, it gets up. Start. Every day is day one. And what is most persistent in this game should be you. And if you are faltering, if you are flailing, if you are waiting for someone to come and save you, if any of these things are true, start. Start now. Start today. Start in some way. Take a decisive action. Start better understanding the game you're in right now and the game you'd rather play. Start. Figure out how to map your actions to what you need to do next. It's really important. 
I, I just I thought it was so on point that I wanted to share it with you. That's from Chris Brogan's podcast, The Owner's Mind. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, that's enough of all me yammering and stammering. Until next time, this is Tommy G. Kendrick. And that's it for our Actors Talk Podcast. God bless you. I hope to see you in the movies. If not in the movies, maybe, maybe at a coffee shop in Austin. If you come this way, let me know. Hey, Sherman, I won't give out your last name, but Sherman sent me a message. We've had a little bit of back and forth. And I hope this information about picking up and going to L.A. is helpful to you and helps you make the right decision, an informed decision that will allow you to maximize your chances for success in the acting business. Take care, Sherman, and everyone else. As I said, God bless. I'll see you next time. Ooh, you are going to like the next interview I have coming, too. Uh, ha, ha, ha. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's a goodie. Another goodie. I'm just on a roll here with great interview guests. Next time on Actors Talk Podcast. That's a wrap. Yeehaw. Actor Muscle. Good book.